Okay, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time of worship and fellowship so far. It is it is so good to be together. And Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, Lord, uh, thank you. We love your word. We uh, just so appreciate what you've been doing in this church family this summer as we've been learning what it is to one another, one another. And Lord, I'm so thankful for those that have heard you and have responded in faith and obedience, those that have stepped out of their comfort zone and uh, Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit, are implementing biblical truth into their lives and you are changing them and transforming them. So thank you for what you're doing. and. As we continue today to look at what it means to bear one another's burdens. Uh, Father, I pray through your Holy Spirit that you would again help us to understand your word. And then, Lord, uh, just as important, Lord, bring the application. Again, you tell us in James, if we're hearers only and not doers, we're deluded. We've deceived ourselves if we think that we're just supposed to come and listen and then politely ignore it. Lord, you say in the book of James that we're deluded. So uh, we don't want to be. We don't want to be. So Lord, help us to understand it and then bring the application. And it's through that application that uh, you are glorified and that we are transformed. So we, uh, we just give this time to you now. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. One another's, right? Andy Stanley, this quote, the primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. This summer, we have been really blessed to say, Lord, teach us what it means to actually be the church. Because the church is made up of who? Us. Us, right? The church is the people, right? Remember this one? Everyone put your hands together like this. If you were, haven't been here before, we, we've modified that little nursery rhyme. We do it like this here. We say, here's the church, right? With or without a steeple. So if you're a steeple person, put one up there. If not, you can leave it down, right? So here's the church, with or without a steeple, open the doors, the church is the people, right? The people. God has, in his scriptures, felt it necessary to give over 50, everyone say 50, over 50 scriptural commands, really, about how his kids are supposed to get along. 50. How many of you who have kids... Just want your kids to get along. Can we just get along in here? Right? And and how many of you have parents have, have said said something to your kids collectively and somehow you assumed once was enough? <laughs> how many of you? Like, I told you. And they just how many of you as a parent have ever had you said, I told you, didn't I? And they look at you. <laughs> when? What? Really? I don't... Right? So that's why we're kind of moving... You know, father says, Hey, kids, here's 50. I know you're probably not going to get it the first time. And that's why we're moving through this. Because it's so important. First and foremost, because how we interact with one another gives him the glory. Amen? The flip side of that is how we treat one another can also... Be very disparaging to his name. It goes both ways, guys. That's why this is important. How we want another 
can be a great testimony to the Ojai Valley that there is a living God who is alive and well and moving through his spirit. And you want tangible proof? Here it is. It's how the church is one another. The flip side is, if we don't want another well, it can tarnish the name of Jesus. It can, it can hurt his name. It, it's, it's, it's weighty. It's weighty. Not just how we interact collectively, but then when we leave here, we say, ready, break, and you go out into the community, how you interact. One time, uh, if you're new visiting, we were over at the Wesleyan Church in downtown for a season, and we were there Saturday nights. We started as a church Saturday nights, moved to Sunday mornings, and we were talking about our identity in Christ and what it means to be a representative of Jesus, and one uh, sermon, we had name tags made. And the name tag said, hello, my name is Christian. And we put it on. And then I challenged them to wear that when they left. Mmm. Mmm. We should wear the name tag. Hello, my name is Christian. Right? We did that as a worship team one night at, at rehearsal when we were over there. They said, hey, we're going to go walk to... Um, uh, what's the uh, yogurt place? Bliss. 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 We're going to go walk to Bliss, worship team. But here you go. Put this name tag on. Hello, I'm a worship leader. <laughs> Somehow, this proclamation changes everything. I mean, it, it, it becomes weighty. It becomes real suddenly, right? And so it's important for us, these one another's, to really understand this, this matters. This matters individually and it matters collectively and ultimately the most important thing it matters to is the name of the Lord. Amen? It really matters to the name of the Lord. So we've been looking at one another and right? we, we, you've seen this all summer. We're the church. You put your faith in Jesus. You're baptized into the church. We are the body of Christ. Positionally, we're in the church. Right? You're placed into 1 Corinthians 12. If this is us, right? Today we're gathered at church. We're here. We're going to at some point say, okay, have a great week, ready, break. And you're going to do that, right? And we're trying to figure out, how are we supposed to get along? What are we, what are we supposed to do? If you're like me, I grew up, and pretty much my understanding of church was once a week. It's a, trip, it's a place I go to. And then, once we say, ready, break, it's back to my life. It's back to my life. The real world. And so this was my understanding. Go to church, leave church. Go to church, leave church. This whole idea of one anothering, you know, small groups, about 30 of you had Mexico last Sunday, so you were together, right? Some of you have coffee, so there's two of you that get together, right? Small groups, about eight of you get together. So, so there's, there's just this part of my like, that's the church. Positionally, we're all united. But the Lord says, here's, here's how you do this. And he calls it one anothering, and we just lost somebody. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> All week, we find you around here. It's sad, because once you're out, you're out. <laughs> oh, look, we died. Now the whole, oh, we lost the batteries, too. So anyway. So we're trying to figure out what it is to one another, one another. Right? 
And it's important. We've seen we're supposed to love one another as Christ loved us. We saw that at the beginning of summer. We're supposed to accept one another as we have been accepted. And then we saw, you know, kind of one that many of you stepped up to in a huge way was we're to forgive one another as we have been forgiven. And if you haven't had a chance to, to, to uh, hear, listen to those, I encourage you to get on the website, uh, listen to them. Because when you begin to implement one anothering, powerful thing happens. It changes your whole experience of church. You go from a passive spectator to engaged. You're in. You're one anothering. Well, who? One another. So who here is sitting next to another? So you're in. You're supposed to be doing something to that person next to you. You're supposed to be one another and one another. So turn to the person next to you and say hi. hi. That's kind of the truth. Right? What is happening is we're learning, if you're not, if you're not catching on over the summer, what you've been learning through the one another's is it's not about me or whoever is behind here trying to corral you all. Y'all, right? Like herding cats, right? It's not like, come here, Veronica, come here. You know, it's not about me trying to herd this entire church to, to do it or else, right? No, a lot of people have that view of, right? We're the spiritual popo, the pastor of the popo, and you do this because the popo, right? We work through that. Like, we worked through that before, right? We're very relational here, so if you're not here, and I recognize that, I will call sometimes and say, hey, I missed you. Some people, when I started doing that, got nervous. Uh, hello? Hey, how are you doing? Oh, no, we weren't there because they get very nervous, and they try to like explain why you weren't here. I, it's okay, I'm just calling to say I missed you, hope you're okay, right? It changes everything when we start to one another. Because it's not about us trying to get everybody to jump on board. What we're really saying is, hey, Father says we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to one another. So we're all in this together. It's a big one another, right? And, and we've been learning that. In Galatians 6, if you were here last week, we moved on to the next one another. And it's bearing one another's burdens. What does it mean to bear one another's burdens? In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians 6. And we're going to read 1 through 5 today. Galatians 6, 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians, the church in Galatia. Okay? Galatians 6, 1 through 5. says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, or bear one another's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone. Without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. I want to just, just kind of bring us all back up to speed because I know, like I said, 30 of you were gone yeah, in Mexico building homes last Sunday. He's speaking in Galatians 6.1. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. 
right? The New Living Translation says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. I leave up Galatians 6.1 for a bit. So what's it say right there? It says, brothers and sisters. There's a specific context in verse 1 about bearing one another's burdens. Typically, we tend to think in broad terms. There's a financial need. There's a prayer request. Someone needs help moving. Some, these sort of like very circumstantial driven, material driven needs, these burdens that come up, we tend to just say, okay, we're supposed to help one another, right? Yeah, in a broad sense, yeah. Verse 1 is a very specific context. Look what it says. It says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer, remember he's talking at the church, is overcome by some sin. See, here's where it gets real and maybe a little more challenging and perhaps uncomfortable. Because this idea of bearing each other, bearing one another's burdens, of sharing, of carrying, in verse 1, has to do when another believer, another brother and sister is caught up in a sin. And look what he says. Who is he speaking to? Brothers and sisters. Last week we saw, he doesn't say, hey, dear pastors and elders. He's speaking to us. And he says, hey, brothers and sisters, if you see a brother and sister and or sister overcome by a sin, you, brothers and sisters, have a corporate responsibility to do something about that. Just that alone, maybe, was, maybe last Sunday was enough to cause someone to go home and really think about that. Because you really need to think about that. Do you accept that responsibility from the Lord? That when a brother, another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly have the responsibility, I put up the NIV, to gently restore them. It's our collective responsibility. And that's where a lot of the church, that's why I'm saying it's not about just coming on Sundays. This is real life. Because here's the truth, and I know this. You all are in each other's lives a lot more than I am. You know what's going on in people's lives. You read the Facebook. You see the Instagram. You see whatever. You know what each other's into. The question for you and I as brothers and sisters is, what do you do with God's command when you see a brother and sister overcome by a sin? What do you do with that? Because we all have that collective responsibility. We all have that collective responsibility. It's very important. It says caught, right? And we looked at this last Sunday. That word caught, another, another illustration is trapped, someone in a snare. This is, this is a, a, a very specific application to a brother and sister caught in sin. We're not talking necessarily about willful, deliberate, hardened heart sin. We're not talking about that. The, the Bible deals with that, with church discipline. 1 Corinthians 5, we looked at that, where there was a sexual immorality going on in the church. Unrepentant, didn't want to change. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, church, 
Quit turning a blind eye to that. That person needs to go. Right? You can look at that in 1 Corinthians 5. So we don't hide from sin. We don't excuse sin in the church. This particular issue has to deal with somebody who's doing their best, has a heart for the Lord, and is caught, overcome, has one of those moments where like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I just did that. Right? We kind of compared it to uh, Peter. Remember when Jesus was saying, hey guys, by the way, y'all are going to run. You're all going to deny me. And what did Peter say? With the best of intentions. Even if they all do, I never will. And how many times? Three times. And then what does it say about Peter? He went out and he wept bitterly. He was just destroyed. He was broken. He's like, oh. Oh, I cannot believe. A million years, I never thought I would do that. Right? So we're talking about this situation where you and I as brother and sister in Christ see another brother and sister in Christ who is, who is just broken, who is overwhelmed, who has been caught in sin. Call it what it is, sin, not excusing their decision, but whatever circumstances led up to it, they are caught in it. And we have a responsibility to do something when this person is broken, when this person is like, oh, oh. You guys ever do anything in your life when you felt this big? You ever have one of those moments you're like, ugh, you wish you could take it all back? <laughs> right? And then you wonder, can I even show up on Sunday? What are they going to think about me at the church? See, because the truth is, if we're really honest, the church hasn't really done this very well. Collectively, the church... The church tends to not treat its own wounded <laughs> like it should. Again, understand, this is someone who's caught in a sin, trapped. The, the word picture is someone running, and for whatever reason, they got snared. Boom! And now they're like, ah! And they're just overwhelmed. Even in the church, we tend to, if we're not careful, go, shine, shine, shine. <laughs> Michelle, Michelle, Michelle. How many times? I told you. I told you. I told you. I told you this was going to happen. Right? That's what we tend to do. We tend to kind of, hmm, I'll pray for you. <laughs> I, I just missed up in prayer. You know, we kind of get this sort of hardened, arrogant, sort of like, you know, serves her right. <laughs> Church, it doesn't do really well with this restoration and gentleness. And we wonder why people leave and don't come back. And we wonder why the testimony of the church isn't where it should be. Right? So again, remember, we're talking not, we're not talking willful, disobedient, hard-hearted sin here. We're not talking that. We're talking someone who just, in the course of life, hit what I call a zinger. You had a zinger moment. You lost it. And you're like, oh, now what? Now what? Right? And the now what, for us, is if you see that, that word uh, restore, we told you last week, has to do with resetting a broken bone. 
or mending a fishing net, right? And so, uh, Betty, you don't have to stand up, just do this, Betty. We used Betty last, so she, she was in an accident, broke her arm, and in this process of healing, had to have it reset. And it didn't feel good. But hopefully the doctor did it with gentleness. See, there's still gonna be pain and consequences, but we are to restore that person. What's that word, keyword? What? Gently. Gently. Because it says, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. What's the, what's the basis of our coming to you in gentleness, hoping to restore this broken, fractured circumstance in your life, right? Hoping to restore your relationship with the Lord that you feel is broken and fractured. Hoping to restore your relationship with the church that you feel is broken and fractured. I will come to you in gentleness when I recognize that I got to be careful. Before I do a whole bunch of this at you, I better remember there's a whole bunch of fingers pointing back to me. <clears throat> and I'm just as susceptible to falling and failing and sinning. Doesn't mean I can't come to you. See, a lot of people say, well, I can't go to them because who am I? I'm not perfect. No, that's not the point. We, we all recognize that we're all imperfect. Amen? That, that's not an excuse not to go to somebody. Your, your acknowledgement of your imperfection means you go to a brother and sister overcome by sin. You go to them in what? Humility. Understanding that in an hour from now, my tables might be turned. Here I am trying to restore you gently and you might get a phone call from me in two hours because I'm broken and I blew it in another area. So our imperfections are not an excuse not to go. Our imperfections create in us the right heart, the right humility, that we go as a fellow brother and sister just trying to do our best in the power of the Spirit. Amen? Right? That's what we're talking about in the context of verse 1 about bearing one another's burdens. Very important. Very important that we, that we understand it. And then it's very important. It says, it says, you who live by the Spirit. Now he qualifies this. He says, hey, not necessarily everyone should go. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in the sin, what's say? You who live by the Spirit. So a spiritual person should go and restore. You're like, who's a spiritual person? A spiritual person is someone living by the Spirit. Manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in their life. You want to know if you're a spiritual person? What fruit are you bearing? Go ahead and put up Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So... Who is supposed to go? Those who are being led, who are walking in their daily life in the Spirit, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Why is that important? Because that is a recognition that your heart is right. That at the core, you're not perfect, but you have a right heart vertically. And you're yielded and submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not going in the flesh. You're not going to go to finger wag and condemn and criticize. You're going in the Spirit to restore. And the basis of that is fundamentally that you're in the Spirit. Amen? You're in the Spirit. Right? So you who are spiritual. I love this quote. Go ahead. Put up the quote up. Spiritual people 
are ordinary people relying on an extraordinary spirit. Amen? You see? Everyone in this room, if you're a believer, you can be a spiritual person if you rely on an extraordinary spirit. Amen? That's how it is. Yield, submit to the power of the Holy Spirit in you and through you. You're manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. In that you get discernment. In that you get conviction. And now you're able to go and minister to one another. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. This is when the church is alive. This is when you're, you're, you're genuinely <coughs> loving one another. Think about it. What is the most loving thing you can do? One of the most loving things you can do for a brother and sister. Restore them gently. Think about that. We tend to elevate, and, and I get this, in the church. Oh, hey, there's a big need. So-and-so needs something to help move. So-and-so needs this, so-and-so. And so we, we tend to rally the troops around these material needs relational needs, all this kind of stuff. We need to stop. And we need to say, wait a second. Isn't the most important need a brother and sister has is when they're dealing with a sin issue? Think about the consequences of not doing something. Think about the consequences of stepping back and just sort of letting a brother and sister wallow in it, maybe hardening their heart even more so. When you are responsible, you and I are responsible to actually go and help restore them. So we'll jump in for a material need, but that, that sin stuff, isn't that where the pastors are supposed to intervene? According to Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, you who are spiritual, that's on you. Because you live it with your brothers and sisters. You see it. You know. Better than we'll ever know here is leadership. You know what's going on in people's lives. And isn't it an incredible privilege to be used by God to restore someone this way and this way? How many would say that is the ultimate privilege? Think about that. To be used by God in someone's struggle with a specific sin. To be used by God to help this person have victory and freedom from the sin issue I can't think of a greater privilege. Because <clears throat> we forget when people are hardened and people are doing their own thing apart from God and living in sin, we forget the consequences. There are consequences to that. So if you and I advocate, and if we take this hands-off approach, understand, it doesn't mean there's no consequences. Understand that what they're doing still has consequences for them. That's why it's a brothers and sisters thing. That's why this one anothering really does matter. We're supposed to have this, this genuine concern, this love, this acceptance for one another in the messiness of life. In the messiness of life, right? I saw this quote last week by Effie Meyer. When we see a brother or sister in sin, there are two things we do not know. First, we do not know how hard he or she tried not to sin. And second, we do not know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. We also do not know what we would have done in the same circumstances. 
I love that quote because it's just a good check. Where to go? But we got to go with humility and gentleness and compassion. Amen? That quote is a really good check. It doesn't mean you don't go. It just means you go. Not in finger wagon. But you go just like this, peer. Peer. And you try to understand what's going on. You listen first. You get the story. You have a softened heart to this person. You have a softened heart, right? The key in this, when you go, it's okay, so, so how do I do that? If I see a brother or sister overcome by sin, what's the basis? What do I say? How do I even approach them, right? Well, here's the thing. If you're walking in the Spirit, yielded, led by the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, there's a certain point where you have to trust spiritual discernment, right? But foundationally, very important, right? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. Go ahead. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If, as a brother, Marco is overcome by his sin, when I approach him, fundamentally, I approach him with the right heart and humility, desiring to restore him gently, but the basis of my conversation is all about Scripture. I'm not going in my opinion. I'm not giving him my advice. He's not going to come to me and say, this is what I think. The basis of us approaching one another has to be what? Scriptures. The truth. Ephesians 4.15 says what? We're to speak the truth in love, right? Speaking the truth. What is the truth? Around here, we believe the truth is God's word. So if I'm going to speak the truth to Marco in love, I'm not going to go there with my opinion. Anything I say needs to line up with Scripture. And if he's dealing with a sin issue, we need to look together about this sin issue. According to what the Bible says. It has to be rooted in the truth. We speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. Because how many of you have tried your hardest to counsel, opine, suggest, give all kinds of things that someone should do, and they don't do it? <laughs> and you just talked out. Right? In the church, in the church, we believe this is the authority. Amen? We believe that it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us and then brings us the ability to implement it. Amen? So if I come to Marco and I'm helping him help restore him gently through this issue of sin and I'm rooted in the scriptures, who, when I'm done talking with him, who is he now accountable to? God, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my heart. When I come to him with the scriptures, I'm ultimately saying, Marco, go this way. Go this way. And when I leave, I'm going to keep praying for him. I still want to be involved in his life. But I recognize that ultimately it's a heart issue and he's got to allow himself through the Holy Spirit to confess, repent, and do what he needs to make it right. Amen? That's the freedom we have in the church. That we're not going around finger wagging and we're not telling you, well, this is my opinion, this is my opinion. You go to one another in the truth. You speak it in love. And this 2 Timothy 3.16, right? Teaching, rebuking, correcting. One of the commentaries, this might help you. What is teaching? I go to Marco and say, Marco, this is what is right. What is rebuking? Hey, Marco, 
This is what is, what is not right. Correcting Marco, this is how to get right. Training in righteousness, and Marco, this is how you stay right. It's a wonderful way to look at those words that sometimes we're like, what does that mean? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. What is right? What is not right? How to get right? How to stay right? It's all rooted in scripture. And I'm just pointing Markle to the ultimate healer, the ultimate restorer, the ultimate source of power and strength in his life, which is God through the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's what I do as a brother and sister. It's rooted only in scripture. Rooted only in scripture, right? And then in verse 2, he moves on and he broadens out the context to the context most of us hear. Verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The NIV says, Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The New Living Translation, Share each other's burdens and in this way you will obey the law of Christ. Right? This is that broader context. Verse 1 was a very specific context. Now he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That word bear means to take up with the hands in order to carry. It means you're willing to get in there. Right? Bear, carry, share. It means you're in there. You're in the mix. More than coming and going. we got to be in the mix. you got to be willing to roll up your sleeves in each other's lives. Okay? That word burdens, bear one another's burdens, it speaks of a heavy, heavy load, literally too much for one person. We are to carry each other's burdens when a brother and sister in Christ has this heavy, heavy load that's it's honestly too much for them to carry. Just too much. Right? We're to roll up our sleeves, get in there and say, hey, hey, here I am. Here I am. Right? John Piper says, he defines burdens as anything that threatens to crush the joy of our faith. Financial difficulties, personal loss, family problems, career issues, all kinds of stuff. Right? These loads that, quite frankly, I'm guessing many of us have in this room right now. We're to be willing, we have to say, we have to roll up our sleeves, be willing to get in there with our hands and say, hey, let me help you. Let me help you with this. And where it says in verse 2, fulfill the law of Christ, what does that mean? John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. John 15, 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Galatians 5, 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when he says you will fulfill the law of Christ, he's talking about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Love. That's what that means. He's talking about you and I self-sacrificially being willing get in there with each other. When we see a brother and sister, in this case, carrying a load that is way too much for them to carry. Way too heavy. Just burdened. Just weighted down. Whether it's a sin issue, a temptation issue, whether it's a financial, economic, relational issue. Just burdened, right? And then look what it says. 
in verse 3. I put up uh, Galatians 1, uh, Galatians 6, 3. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Again, he's coming. He says, hey, if you're going to carry each other's burdens, don't come with pride. Don't come with pride. Don't think that you're all that. He says, if you think you're all that, you're deceived. That's what he said, right? He says, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. But you're like, wait a second. I thought we're supposed to carry each other's burdens. And now it says in verse 5, each one should carry their own load. I don't understand that. See, this is, this is where it gets really important. Because there's two different words for burdens and load. And, and we're going to look at that. There's this quote that says, Notice the assumption which lies behind this command. Namely, that we all have burdens and that God does not mean us to carry them alone. How many of you do much better in carrying others' burdens versus having your own burdens carried? Anyone here? You remember the story of the, the guy who was an invalid, paralyzed, and he had four friends? And Jesus was in this house. And it was so crowded that they couldn't get him in through the front door. So what did the four friends do? They climbed up, went to the roof. However they did it, dug a hole and lowered their friend on the mat, right? In front of Jesus. Boom! Right? We celebrate that story. It's a great story. Sometimes I wonder, how did the guy on the mat feel? You're like, wouldn't he have been thankful? Wouldn't he have been grateful? You would assume so, and I'm not saying he wasn't. But if he's like me, I probably would have said like, really guys? You're going to do what? You don't have to do that. I don't want to be a... Anyone? I don't want to be a... How about this one? I got this. Anyone? Hey, can I help you with that? You look like you're burdened. You look like you could really use some help. What's it? I got it. I got... That's okay. How about this one? I'm good. Anyone? Who's the I'm gooders here? I'm good. How about, who's the, I got this, I got this. Who's the, I don't want to be a burden. Right? We sort of have this desire, oh man, I would love to be on that mat. I would love, I'll do that for my friend. I would, I would, right here. Okay, then get on the mat. I can't get on that mat. I don't want to be a burden. I'm good. I got this. See, here's the thing. There's this duality that we need to... If you leave here thinking, oh, we're supposed to carry each other's burdens. We get that, and that's kind of the simple word, the simple uh, meaning. But I want, to, I want to challenge you because there's an application that, that, that I believe that really is for us today. And that is being willing to have your burdens carried. <laughs> Thank you, bro, bro. <laughs> being willing... To have your burdens carried by the person next to you. Okay, turn to this one. Right? Fighting the temptation. I don't want to be a. I got. I'm. Right? The root of it. Pride. Pride. 
self-reliance, independence. I have a whole list. Like, I, let me share with you. Independence, self-reliance, fear of being judged, fear of looking weak, fear of admitting failure or inability to resolve the issue by yourself. It makes you feel vulnerable. It might stir up an identity crisis. Maybe you were brought up in a generation that you didn't ask for help. Marlboro Man. The Marlboro Man never had needed help, right? The Lone Ranger never needed help. He was always helping, right? John Wayne. Did John Wayne ever need help? Nope. Right? These role models, these pictures of this, this, you know, this issues, you know, maybe I'm speaking more to the men here, because maybe the men struggle with this a little bit more, or a lot bit more, right? How many of you struggle when you're lost? Asking for directions. Why do we struggle with asking for directions? What? Okay, pride, but let's get real. What is the pride issue? Admitting what? That you're lost! Just admitting failure. Not just that you're lost, admitting failure. I'm going to say failure. The root that we don't want to ask for help, my wife knows my look. I got this. I'm good. How many of you have ever been lost and your significant other spouse is trying to help you? But in a weird way, it becomes their fault that you're lost. <laughs> if you would just do Google Maps the way I told you. <laughs> we are like messed up. Suddenly, see, I don't have to admit failure. I'm calling around on her failure to fix my failure. So it's not my failure, it's her failure. Right? We don't want accountability. Sometimes we, if we're going to ask for help, it means we let someone in, which means they might ask how we're doing the next time we see them. So we may not want accountability when we ask for help, right? And sometimes, honestly, we don't even know we need help. You're like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And this is why I want to be sensitive, right? They're, they're, sure, pride is the root. It's just self-image. What are they going to think about me? I'm good. I got it. You know, I want to be a burden, right? We're dying inside. But sometimes, honestly, we don't need help because life and things progress over time. And this is what I mean. So where it says here, each one should carry their own load, right? I will go back to the Galatians 6.1. Or 6.2, I'm sorry, go to 6.2. So it says, carry each other's burdens. So 6.2 says burdens, 6.5 says load. That word load, the picture is a soldier's backpack. What that means is each one should carry their own load. It means we still have responsibilities in our life. Before the Lord, just the responsibilities of life as a whole. Carry your own load, right? Kind of like this. Shana, can I use you? So let's say this backpack is her, Shiloh's life, right? <laughs> So Shiloh is responsible before the Lord to carry her own load. Amen? We all have that, right? We all have responsibility to carry our own load, right? Jordan, I can use your help with this. But let's say 
in the midst of Shiloh trying to carry her own load, life happens. And we'll call this the unexpected. Anything in addition to her personal response, her own load. And let's just say, so it's not too bad, right? And she's like, I, I got this. I got this. Right? But life doesn't stop. And so over time, this other burden just starts to keep going. Whoa, whoa, okay. Want to tie her in here? Because she's got this. She's got this. And so we notice she's not so happy one Sunday. I'm like, how's it going? Fine. How you doing? Good. How was your week? Great. You need help with anything? Okay. <laughs> but life doesn't stop. <laughs> and so the next week her car breaks down. And 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 <laughs> And now she's standing funny. <laughs> but she shows up the next Sunday. How you doing? Good. How's week? Need anything to help? Good. You're good, all right. Right? But life doesn't stop. One carry her own load. But life has happened. You can walk through it. And now she has 25 pounds. <laughs> she has 25 pounds on her. How was your week? Great. You need any help? You're good. You see, sometimes in our in our life, you want this house for you, don't you? <laughs> You rebel? Here, join me with this up. Thank you. Let's give it up for our. Uh... See, sometimes it's not that it hits you all out of the blue. Sometimes it does. And sometimes you go from your backpack to 25 pounds immediately. I have found that oftentimes it's progressive. And it's one thing after another. And, it, it, and it's kind of interesting because you get used to it. And you modify things, you grit your teeth, right? And after a while, you don't even realize what you're carrying. And in fact, it takes someone to look at you and go, are you crazy? <laughs> And yet, from your perspective, like what? This is normative. This is how I live. <clears throat> and it takes maybe a brother and sister in Christ to say, hey, you know what? You don't have to live that way. Let me carry that burden for you. Give me some of that. Would you be willing to?
Would you be willing to admit, be confronted with your own pride and say, yeah, thank you. I could really use some help. I could really use some help. And you're like, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Let me just give you a personal example that this just happened. Just happened. I was out at the, at the track uh, working out. And I ran into somebody that I hadn't seen in years, 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 years. And God just kind of set this up that before I left, our, our paths crossed. And it was a moment where he just wanted to catch up and say, hey, did you hear what's going on in my life? I'm like, no, no, what happened? And again, I hadn't seen him in over 10, I haven't even talked to him, probably 10, 15 years. And so we start walking around the, the track together, and he just let it out. And I was, I was like, are you kidding me? It, it was devastating, absolutely devastating what, what has happened in his life. And I'm walking with him, and I'm realizing he's letting me in. This is a moment for him that for whatever reason he's comfortable. I haven't seen him in 15 years, but he's comfortable to start letting me carry the burden by, by just being able to sit there. And I was checking myself this whole time, like, wait, okay, I was about to leave, I'm not going to leave. And I don't know how many laps we did, because I just decided I'm just going to keep walking. As long as he wants to keep talking, I'm just going to keep walking. So we just kept doing laps. And the circumstances of his life are so profoundly overwhelming that I'm sitting there and I'm a pastor and I'm sitting there like I can't even fathom what I would do in your circumstances brother his brother and Lord and I'm, I'm, I'm listening I'm overwhelmed personally I feel this incredible love and compassion for him and at the same time I'm like Lord what do I do what do I possibly say in this situation what right and I'm kind of huh yeah, oh man, oh man, I'm just, we take lap after lap after lap. And finally, it's time I have to go, and I'm like, hey man, let me just pray for you. So we get off the track, and I just, I just pray for him. And then we, I'm like, but you know, that was enough. For that moment in his life, he allowed someone in and what that meant was being in here, having a heart, and praying for a brother in the Lord. That's what it is. It's not that you're going to go in there and fix it. It's not that you're going to give them all these solutions. It's not that you're going to, sometimes quite literally, you're just going to be near. And you're going to be oh, coming to their, their life with this heart of compassion. We're going to keep walking until you're done talking. That's carrying some of his burden. I don't know if he's, who, who, I don't know, maybe he has other guys, maybe he has no one. But it was this moment, this morning, that God said, you guys, after 15 plus years. And I share that story with you because, one, it was so overwhelming. I, I personally, I'm walking going, Lord, you got it. I don't know. 
things that you don't have to do anything, just listen. Just be a listener. Just let him go, let him go. He needs to talk, just listen. Don't judge, don't jump, don't, don't, don't be the counselor. Just listen. And then at the end, Lord, what do I do? Just pray for him. And you know what? I could tell when you're done, you've been crying, and you looked in my eyes, it's like, thanks. I'm like, you're welcome. Let me know if you need anything. I don't know if he'll ever call. But at that moment, it was just carrying me further because he allowed me me. And so this carrying each other's burdens, it's, it's, it's a two-way street. Are you willing to be available to your brothers and sisters? And maybe more challenging for us this morning, are you willing to share your burden? Now, I know you have to be wise. Use wisdom. Use discernment. Find someone you trust, someone that you know. Okay? I'm not saying you just blurt it out to everyone. Because if you don't, and if you tend to be a bottler like I am, if you tend to kind of like, I'm good, I got this, I don't want to be a burden, here's a couple things I want to share with you, some consequences of that that I see in my own life. If you, if you keep it all in, in my life, I tend to isolate myself when I go there. I distance myself from people out of pride, out of fear of judgment. Right? If I bottle it and I don't speak it, I get angry. And sometimes I'll even start to accuse. I won't speak my need, but I won't, I, and I won't speak my need, I won't let people in to carry my burden, but isn't it weird how I get angry and I'll accuse you of not caring? It happens in the church. Two, three months ago, someone came to visit the church. Don't go here. Haven't been back. And at a certain point in conversation at the church, really accused this church of not helping someone who attends this church. Same circumstance out in the community they heard. And they, someone explained to me how your church did not help this person. Because I know this person has a need and, and does it, does it, does it. And it was really kind of throwing us under the bus. It's like, one of these moments. Don't even come here. And I said, you know what? Thanks for sharing that. Because we didn't have a clue. Because they never told us they had that need. You see what I'm saying? So we're being accused of being uncaring, not being compassionate, not going the extra mile to a need we don't even exist. Right? But we can go there in our own lives if we go like this and we're not willing to speak a need. We're willing to really share that I need help. We flip it around. Now it's, yeah, there's someone caring there. There. Ah. Ah. Right? Ah. How many of you have heard of that? Ah. Right? You gotta be real careful. We harden our heart. We become bitter. When all along it's just because we're resistant, we're reluctant, we're too prideful. To say, hey, I need some help. Can you help me? This is bigger than me. I cannot handle this alone. And maybe I'm speaking to the men more than the ladies. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking more to me than you. It's challenging to put yourself out there. To allow others to carry your burden. To catch yourself before you say, I'm good. I got it. 
don't want to be a burden. God commands us to carry each other's burdens. Which implies we're to allow others to what? Carry our burdens. Right? It goes both ways. So how do you get there? Isaiah 53, 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you ever realize that if you put your faith in Jesus, if you come to the place where you come to the cross and you're so broken and you understand what Jesus did for you in light of your sin and the penalty that you could never pay, if you've ever gotten to that place where you're just like, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Oh, Jesus, I put my trust in you. Thank you. If you've come to that place of brokenness and humility, that absolute admission that you don't have it all together, there's nothing more humbling than coming to the cross. There is nothing more humbling. No greater admission that you don't have it together. No greater admission that you need help than at the cross. Amen? Think about that. To come to the cross is to come to the end of yourself. To come to the cross fully understanding the gospel is to say, I'm done. I'm lost. I'm blind. I'm spiritually dead. I need you, Jesus. Help. Right? If you truly understand what the cross represents, if you truly understand that admission, that humility, that, yeah. I'm done without you, Jesus. It kind of puts back into perspective the pride issues. You came to Christ because you admitted you didn't have it all together anyway. Why is it in the church, we all come to Jesus, we have this great confession, repentance moment, I need you, I'm broken, nothing I can do, and yet as soon as we get up off our knees, I'm good. Don't want to be a burden. I got this. Stay humble. Stay broken. Look what it says in Romans 5, 6. While we were still what? While we were still what? See, some of you are struggling with that word. Helpless. Helpless. The cross brings us to helplessness. You're helpless. You're helpless. Right? The NME says powerless. For all of you are like, I'm good. I got this. No, the Bible says you were helpless and powerless. The Bible calls you a sheep. And if you don't know what sheep in the Bible means, it's not a, it's not a term of endearment. Right? You were helpless. You were powerless. The Bible calls you a sheep. Colossians 2.13 says this. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. You were dead. So if you're struggling with letting people in to help carry your burdens, the Bible says you're a sheep. You were walking astray. You're helpless, powerless, and dead. See, the gospel is the great equalizer. Amen? At the cross, we are all equal because we all have equal need because the Bible says all have sinned and all have <laughs> children of the glory of God. Amen? 
See, in the church, the great leveler, the great equalizer is the cross. Helpless, powerless, sheep, dead. So when we get up from the cross and we're like, oh, Lord, you're so good. It's only by your grace. That's the heart that we go to each other with. That's the heart that we go to each other with. That's heart of grace and compassion. And then we go to each other with honesty. Hey, you know what? If I'm real honest, there's some areas in my life where I'm still helpless and powerless. Amen? I still have that. And here's the beautiful thing about the church. He has surrounded you with people in this room. In this room. Right now. Right now. To help you carry this. They're right here. We are all responsible to carry our own load. We're all responsible. We have our stuff. But he has surrounded you with people. Maybe the person right next to you doesn't know that you're carrying 25 pounds. Because we're really good at hiding that stuff. I'm good. I got it. Don't want to be a burden. When the truth is, we saw today in 6-2, we're to carry each other's burdens for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you. That you've not left us alone. You put us in the church. And we've learned today that we're to carry each other's burdens. And if we're honest, many people in this room would much rather come alongside someone else than allow people in to help them with their own burden. And so right now we just want to confess our pride, confess our self-reliance, confess our independence, confess our fear and our insecurity. We want to confess that, Lord, we struggle with admitting failure. We struggle with admitting that we don't have it all together. We just simply struggle with asking for help. Even in the church, we're so scared of being judged. So Lord, we ask you to forgive us. We ask you to transform us in this area. Today and in the days and weeks ahead, now that we're aware of it, we need you because this is new territory for many. Letting people in, because perhaps we've been wounded in the past. So Lord, we're going to need you. And thank you that as we prepare for communion, that we're reminded that at the cross, we were all helpless and powerless. In fact, dead. The ultimate need was met in Jesus. And we simply received it by faith. So as we come forward for communion this morning, Jesus, we do it in remembrance of you, but we actually, actually look around and the people who are coming forward around us, they're just as helpless and powerless and just as, as much need as you did, as I did. There's no one different at the cross. All have sinned and fallen short. So we're coming to communion today. Maybe just a wonderful reminder of our helplessness, our powerlessness, our need. We were all sheep. And we put our hands up and said, Jesus, we simply trust you. We simply trust you. 
And that's the church. And that's the church. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ, I encourage you before communion, do so. Just put your faith in Christ. Understand your helplessness, your powerlessness, your need. And admit, maybe for the first time, admit you need Jesus as Savior and Lord in your life. That he did what you could never do. Just admit it. Just be honest and receive the gift of salvation. So we open the communion table up. You can come forward. And when everyone's been served, we'll take communion together. Amen.